Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday morning messages are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, enjoy the message. But uh, we're jumping into some questions that you have. You have some burning questions? Well, look to your neighbor and say, you asked for it. Look, yeah, be careful what you ask for. See, there's a problem. Whenever I preach, half the church leaves. So I don't know if I'm offensive or what, but numbers go down. So Pastor Dave's a little leery, leaving me in charge. And probably because my lowest spiritual gift is mercy. You know, 82nd Airborne, hardcore, you know, Gulf War, all that stuff. So I'm kind of like, yes! And uh, if you know what all that is about. So I approach Scripture similarly. I'm really excited about the Word of God, and I'm very set in what I believe. And so I'm going to try my very best to deliver this message in love, in mercy. Because it's one of those topics that actually are very controversial in Christendom. It's like, okay, you go this way, or maybe you go this way. And it really has to do with perspective. So I'm going to be talking about two different perspectives today. And I just wanted to, for background, I grew up in a church that was in perspective one. And <clears throat> later on, started going to a church in Fayetteville, Manor Church, and started developing concepts and constructs in, in perspective two. So we're gonna, I'm going to lay those out for you. And I'm going to kind of share with you my journey, and hopefully it can help you get there as well. All right? So let's pray over the word, and we can get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray over the word of God, and I just pray that you illumine our minds. Holy Spirit, come and breathe on the word and let it come alive, and let it spring forth living water. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I was a teacher for 10 years in Roanoke Rapids Public School District, and in teaching, there's this thing called the Socratic method of teaching, and my kids know this. Every time they ask me a question, I ask them a question. Because the Socratic method of teaching is, I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm going to ask you questions to help you lead yourself to the answer. Is that okay this morning? All right. So, the, you know, we have some icebreakers. So the first question that was asked by a, a good friend of mine, I read the question, and I knew who asked it without seeing that he signed his name. And then stapled to it on the back side was his wife's question. And they had, they had asked them separately at the same time, and then brought them together. And they laughed, they stapled them together. So Dan Smith writes, what do you do when your family doesn't recognize your genius? It's like, I don't know if that's in the Bible, Dan. And his wife asks, what do I do with Dan Smith? At the same time, they didn't know what other, the other one was gonna ask. So that was pretty good, I thought that was a great, uh, great thing. Um, all I can say to Kelly is uh, unconditional love, Kelly. Unconditional. Just love him. So when I talked to Dan about this, he gave me permission to share it. They're pretty open. They give each other a, a pretty hard time. And when I said, just love him, Kelly, he, he said, yes. All right, so we're just going to love each other. We're going to give each other grace this morning. How about that? Okay. So I want to ask you a question. Is God sovereign? Is God sovereign? All right, good. So we're going we're gonna to take a perspective of Scripture that God is sovereign. 
See, my pastor in Fayetteville, uh, when I was going through Bible college and, and attending the church in Fayetteville, Manor Church, he would say, I will never argue theology without knowing your hermeneutics. So Michael, he, man, that guy, whew, he really knows the Bible. And I really respected him. And I just, so I go up and say, Michael, what do you mean by that? He said, well, how you approach interpreting Scripture is going to determine your theology, the study of God, theology, right? Theos being God, ology being the study of. Hermeneutics is the science and art of biblical interpretation. So how you interpret the Bible determines your theology, what you believe about God. What you believe about God is, is translated into what's called your orthodoxy, right? What you believe. Your orthodoxy controls your orthopraxy, how you practice what you believe. Is everybody tracking? We good so far? So how you approach Scripture, well, in hermeneutics, it says Scripture interprets Scripture. Man doesn't interpret Scripture. So the only thing that we can do is we can look at the Word of God and see what the Word of God. So if you're reading something and you have a question in your mind, and you're like, oh, well, I wonder if such and such. The only way to answer that is to look at Scripture. And you look at the preponderance of Scripture. So if Scripture's not clear, then what do you do? You can't build doctrine on it, right? You can't build a doctrine on something that's not clear in Scripture. So that's a hermeneutical approach. All right? So hermeneutics controls theology. Theology is your orthodoxy. Orthodoxy controls orthopraxy. Man, you guys just went through Bible college. Did you know it? There is an example. I want to play with this a little bit. There's an example of... This absolute perspective, is God's, I asked you, is God sovereign? Now I'm going to ask you a second question. Is God absolutely sovereign? Okay, we all agreed? God is absolutely sovereign. All right, so I came in while they were filming the, the announcements uh, on Thursday, and I interrupted Meredith. This is not scripted, by the way. I come in and sat there and waited for her, and she's like, what are, you're making me nervous. What are you doing in here, you know? And so finally I come up, and I, I asked her these questions on the spot. So check out this video. Let's give it up for Meredith. She was a good sport. I put her on the spot. There are some absolute truths. There are some absolute truths. And the absolute truth is stealing is wrong because it offends God's character. Not because God said so. It's almost like talking to a two-year-old. Why? 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 
you got to trace it all the way back because there are absolute aspects. Well, not just aspects. God is absolute in every aspect. So we're going to take a look a little bit at the absolute sovereignty of God and the immutability of God. To understand the questions that I had been given, um, several of the questions had to do with uh, predestination, election, uh, free will, you know, um, let the language that we use and choosing God and, and so on. So I'm kind of approaching all those questions from the perspective of, well, you have to understand absolute sovereignty first, and then you have to understand the immutability of God, and then you have to understand the preeminence of Christ, and then you can ask any question you want and then answer them within that framework. So if God is absolutely sovereign and there's an infinite aspect of who God is, and he's immutable. So there's this, this cool word called immutable or the immutability of God. What did, part of this is what did God know and when did he know it? Well, God knows everything and he's always known it. See, the problem is we have a finite mind and we're trying to understand an infinite God. So we get into trouble sometimes and we interpret scripture from a man perspective and, and you know, we, we get into these things, well, this, but this, you know, and, and we get confused. That's Okay. We're going to try to solve it this morning, all right? Definition of immutability. You've got to be clear on this. God is unchangeable in his character, his will, and his covenant promises. Everybody say, God is unchangeable in his character, his will, and his covenant promises. All right, y'all remember that. You said it. God cannot change. Same today, yesterday, today, and forever. God is a spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite, eternal, and unchanging. God's immutability defines all other of God's attributes. God is immutably wise, merciful, good, and gracious. God is uh, omnipotent, having all power. God is omnipresent, present everywhere. God is omniscient, knowing everything. And all those attributes of God are immutable, unchangeable, eternal, infinite. Infiniteness and immutability in God are mutually supportive and imply each other. <clears throat> An infinite, unchangeable, God is unconceivable. It is a contradiction of definition. You can't be infinite and, immu and immutable and changeable. Does that make sense? There's a contradiction in the term, in the definition of perspective one. And I'm going to be pointing that out to you in just a minute. I told myself I'd try to get through perspective one without jumping in <laughs> and giving commentary. But I, I don't know if I can do it or not. I just get too excited. I jumped the gun. So this per first perspective, and I've titled it Limited Sovereignty Perspective. So we know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was formless and void. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. He, he went through creation. He created man, created Adam. <clears throat> 
and he placed Adam in the garden, and he said that you have dominion over everything, right? All the fish of the air and the fish of the air, ha, fish of the sea and birds of the air. God's even with you when you get confused, right? All the seed-bearing plants. He gives, he gives Adam dominion over everything, right? We all agreed on that? Yes, he does. So essentially what God is doing in this, in this first part uh, in creation is God is taking off his signet ring. God's taking off his signet ring, and he's giving it to Adam. He said, the king, the ruler, that has all authority, all power, all dominion, that is what? Sovereign. He's taking off his ring, giving it to Adam, and saying, rule over everything that you see. Who does the earth belong to? The Lord, right? The earth belongs to the Lord, and everything in it is his. The right to rule it passed from God to Adam. Adam, sin, and Eve, sin, subjected himself under Satan. So the right to rule the earth went from Satan, or excuse me, Adam, to Satan. I have no problem with that. I have a problem with the definition. I have a problem with how this first perspective looks at the sovereignty of God. So if Adam relinquished the right to rule to Satan. He was a man. Man gave it away. Man had to get it back. Right? Talking about the immutability of God, God's justice, God's plan. Man gave it away. Man had to get it back. So at, uh, Jesus had to be fully man. But the only way that he could pay the price for all mankind was to be fully God at the same time. So he is fully man and fully God. So Jesus Christ comes, he's sacrificed on the cross, he reclaims the right to rule the earth. So you hear pastors talking all the time, preaching about the kingdom of God. Well, what's the kingdom of God? The right to rule the earth. That is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. He came, he ushered in the new era, which was where he paid the price, he take all the power and dominion back. Is that, we all clear on that? We're all good on that? I have no problem with that. This is, this is the, this next part. So in doing so, Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he shows up. He tells the disciples, go therefore and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that I've taught you. I will be with you till the end of the age, right? He, he gives them the great commission. In other places in Scripture, he says, whatever you ask in my name, it'll be done, so on and so forth. So in this first perspective, they, they view things uh, this way. Adam, excuse me, God gave Adam the right to rule. Adam gave Satan the right to rule. Jesus took back the right to rule, and now He's given it to mankind by mandate for us to go in his name and do it. So they believe that we now have the right to rule the earth and pray in his name. This first perspective, and literally in their language, says this. God limited, everybody listen, God limited his sovereignty by giving Adam free will and dominion. Ooh. That gave me chill bumps. <laughs> God, 
God willingly limited his sovereignty by giving Adam free will and dominion to rule. So that's the perspective by which they interpret Scripture. So now man has free will to choose. So the language of choice has has been brought in and I'm sorry, I've studied Scripture and studied Scripture. I've studied both sides. And the preponderance of Scripture does not support that. The choice. Stay with me. Don't leave the church now. Don't get offended. Just asking you to look from a different perspective. I believe this is a man-to-God perspective. We're trying to understand God and put him into our our perspective, our, our construct. So the second perspective is absolute sovereignty perspective. God gave Adam free will and dominion over the earth, no problem. Adam sinned and gave the right to rule to Satan, no problem. God no longer has the right to rule, okay, God's sovereign plan was revealed and played out in human history. Okay, this is where it begins to differ. What you do with Jesus. And how you look at that, that time period where Adam and Satan ruled the earth, had dominion to rule the earth. So what do you do with Jesus? Everybody say, Jesus is the answer. Man, the other day I was in my kitchen and I was, I, I garden a lot. I have like 10 cucumber plants that are vining everywhere. I got cucumbers coming out of my ears, and I love pickles. I'm making pickles. I'm fermenting pickles. I'm canning pickles. I'm doing, I'm giving pickles away. I'm in my kitchen. I'm cutting up pickles, and the song comes on, and it says, I have the answer to all your questions, and I'm thinking about my sermon. I'm like, oh, great. I just got to get up and say, Jesus is the answer. I was dancing in my kitchen. My neighbors must think I'm crazy. I know my children do. <laughs> ask, kids ask, people ask about your dad. What's your dad like? He's crazy. Jesus is the answer. So Jesus said, all power, all dominion has been given unto me. Now you go. So we go, yes, we're, we're following a mandate, but who has dominion? Who has dominion? Jesus has dominion. He's seated at the right hand of God, and he is the one that won it back. He is the one that did it. Now, we share in that as co-heirs with Christ, right? You are a co-heir with Christ. You share in that, but the dominion and power and everything still belongs to who? To Jesus. Daniel, vision in the night. Behold, I saw one like the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days. All power and authority was given unto him. A kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. That has no end. It's his kingdom. It is Christ's kingdom. Christ is everything. The preeminence of him. Same scripture. Different definition of terms and conclusion. The first perspective God limited his sovereignty. Man has absolute free will to choose or not to choose God. Second perspective, 
God is absolutely sovereign. Man has limited free will. So I ask you, is God sovereign? God is absolutely sovereign and immutable. He cannot be anything that he is not. Does that make sense? God can't limit his own sovereignty. Does that make sense? How can you li- if you're sovereign, how can you limit your own sovereignty? It's a, it's a contradiction of terms. He is absolutely sovereign, therefore he is absolutely sovereign. He's unchangeable. It does not change just because he gives dominion and the right to rule to Adam. His sovereign plan was from the foundation. Christ was slain at the, before the foundations of the earth. His plan was enacted in, in Genesis chapter 3 before mankind, the, all of mankind, was ever even here. His plans are eternal and infinite and immutable. God's plan predates our existence. Christians are co-heirs with Christ. We have been given the right to use his name on earth. But make no mistake, this is to carry out God's will, not our own. I think that this is a God-to-man perspective. What we, get hang, we get hung up in this idea of free will. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Does mankind have free will? Well, yeah, we have free will. But I want you to think about it this way. When God created Adam, he created Adam with free will to choose God or to reject God, right? He created the angels the same way. Third of the angels fell. Adam and Eve fell. We know that they had free will. But what happened when Adam sinned? What happened when Adam sinned? What happened to his spirit? It died. It was separated from God. And there was a great chasm that stood between man and God. And it could not be bridged except for Jesus Christ. Come on now. Man, I I got goosebumps. It could not be bridged except for Jesus Christ. So we had, from the time that Adam, Adam had free, a real free will, but from the time that, that Adam sinned and Eve sinned, we no longer had absolute free will. We had limited free will because we could do whatever we want, but not what we ought. We ought to choose God, but we're incapable of choosing God because of our sin nature. Salvation is of Jehovah. That's what the Bible says in Jonah. Salvation is for Jehovah. Man can play no part whatsoever in his own salvation. We're incapable of it, even to make the choice to do it. Because we no longer have free will to choose God because of sin. This is, this is what happens, really. We hear the word. The Holy Spirit breathes on the word. 
our spirits begin to regenerate by the sovereign decree of God. And a light bulb goes off in our heads and we go, oh, I believe. So then we say, I believe. I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And we come running to the cross. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. God being the giver of grace, us being the receiver of grace, we spend the rest of our lives operating out of gratitude for what Christ has done for me. It's no longer by mandate or decree. It's no longer to earn favor. It's no longer any of the stuff in the past. It is a new covenant that's unchangeable. It's God's immutability, his plan that will never change. that you were chosen by God. <clears throat> the second perspective, God is absolutely sovereign. We have limited free will. I know free will feels good and it preaches good. But it's in stark contrast to the preponderance of Scripture that affirms God is unchangeable and he has your best interest at heart. You know, no matter where you're at, man, if you're in the ditch in your marriage, if you're, maybe you just got bad news from the doctor, whatever the case might be, God's love for you is unchangeable. I love that song this morning. It's uncontainable. And it's unchangeable. It's immutable. His character, his will, and his covenant promises are, period. Not if. God always has your best interest at heart. So whenever you approach Scripture, you have to approach it from this perspective, I believe. Accepting God's absolute sovereign reign is scary, but in the end, I believe it brings true freedom and illumination of God's plan for your life. Once you reach that moment, it, I mean, I know, I, I care, I mean, I walked this road. I was ready, my, my uncle, um, Bruce, was the um, dean of academics for Kingsway Cathedral Theological Seminary. They have seminaries all over the world. My mom was a professor at the theological seminary. My uncle was a professor, pastor to church. I grew up steeped in theology and doctrine. But the, and I was always afraid. I'm just going to tell you my journey. I was always afraid that I got left behind. Man, I watched that. <laughs> I watched them shows back in the day, you know, Piercing the Darkness, all those, the books and the Peretti books. You remember that? Yeah, you know, and was it hell, heaven's gates hell's flames and all these different things you know all these productions and stuff and i was scared to death that i was going to hell and i was scared that i was going to get left behind and so as a kid man i got saved every sunday yeah i actually had a you know i was a teacher and i taught kids in alternative school and uh <clears throat> two kids they i always left my bible this bible right here i always left my bible open on my desk and the kids always knew how to get out of work. They'd come up and start talking to me about the Bible. <laughs> a lot of these two kids come up, one of them sitting there. He's like, man, Pastor Jamie, let me show you. Or he said, Mr. Taylor. He's going to come to Mr. Taylor. Hey, Mr. Taylor, 
let me read your Bible. I'm like, all right, man, turn to this chapter. Man, John is the, is the disciple of love, man. He talks about love, and he's like, no, nah, man, I want to hear about war and stuff. Where's war in the Bible? And so I'd, you know, take him back and show him kings and, you know, the ex- uh, exploits of David and so on. And uh, so there are two kids sitting at my desk, and they were thumbing through my Bible and talking, and, and one looks, and I was just kind of grading papers, and one looks at the other, and he says, man, you want to go to church uh, with me? And he's like, nah, man. He's like, come on, man, we can go get saved. He's like, man, I've been saved three or four times. <laughs> I was like, man, we got to have a talk. Because once you understand God's grace, once you understand and your mind's illumined, whew, man, it's just like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? I'm going to pursue you, obedience through love. Obedience through love. If you love me, you obey my commands. If you love me. The moment that we give our life to Jesus Christ, our free will, I, I believe that our free will changes a little bit. Now we have the ability to do what we ought by the Spirit of God. Through Christ, we can choose to follow the Spirit. There's two laws. I find that there's two laws at work, the law of the Spirit and the law of the flesh. I choose to follow the law of the Spirit. That choice was not available until the moment that you did what? Accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The moment that the Holy Spirit went, believe. You know, right out here on this wall, there's a, a big sign as you come in the door. How many people have seen that sign? It says, the promises of God. See, you know, God has made some promises in here. He's made some covenants in here that are immutable. And we have them right out there on the wall. In Exodus 6, because this has always been in the heart of God. Old Testament, Christ concealed. New Testament, Christ revealed. His plan for his people is the plan that he has for you. It's always been in the heart of God to do these things. It's part of his plan. It is immutable, unchangeable, and infinite and wrapped up in his sovereignty. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And everybody say, I will. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with uh, great acts of judgment. I will take you, to, uh, take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I, I swore to uh, give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for your inheritance. I am the Lord. I don't think there's any exceptions in there. God says, I will save you. I will set you free. I will redeem you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. How many people can say amen to that? You see, when we start to see that God is absolutely sovereign, 
And you, you talk to your neighbor and say it one more time. Say, you asked for it. When we start to see that God is absolutely sovereign and his plan is going to be played out in our lives, things start making sense. But this is the fear. This is the fear. The opposition believes that if we don't have absolute free will, then we're just robots. Uh, robots following God's plans. Are we robots? No, we're not robots. That's, that's, I mean, I read several articles. That was their argument. We're just robots following God's plan. No. God places boundaries, and they fall in pleasant places. Yeah, we have free will in the context of his will. Yeah, we have free will. We have, before we were Christians, before we accepted Christ, we had free will to do whatever we want to do, just not what we ought to do. The moment that we accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit breathed, and we started to believe in God, now we have free will to choose him or not to choose him. See, free will has a lot more to do with sanctification than salvation. The cooperative process with the Holy Spirit of becoming more and more like Christ every single day. That's where free will really comes in. Because salvation is of, come on now, is of Jehovah. Say it. Salvation is of Jehovah. Did I hurt anybody's feelings this morning? Well, I hope not. Go ahead and stand up with me. You've been listening to Valley's podcast. Valley Community Church is located at 1215 Julian R. Allsbrook Highway in Weldon, North Carolina. We invite you to attend one of our Sunday morning services at 8.30, 10, or 11.30 a.m. Visit us at valleychurch.us or our Valley app for more information about our ministry.